Know how to move his shoulders, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <Woo>. <laughs> now, when do the shoulders stop like working? At 40, uh, 50, 60? I mean, well, it depends what type of labor work. you do. I think my pops didn't had a, um, what is that called? The socket rotator. <laughs> the rotator cuff. <laughs> and that is on the set. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. Black and brown, get down. What's up, Joe? What's happening? I miss you. I miss you, too. We are back at Baldwin and & Company, and uh, Joe is uh, live from... The Bay Area! <laughs> Sprinkle me. <laughs> <laughs> um, you feel me, though. boopy. <laughs> let's go. Um, yeah, I didn't know what that was. That was the tongues. He was bringing that hey. shabba Um yeah, Okay, so, uh, yeah, we've gotten amazing feedback from uh, the episode one. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, I heard some really great feedback as well so excited to be back in season two um keep the feedback coming so what we talk about today mary what's up uh we're actually gonna jump right in and talk about um the humanitarian crisis that's happening in palestine for putting you on uh, many of us actually have seen uh the various one thing that i love about gen z and one thing that i love about um just social media is like people put together these amazing resources online. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is swipe three or four times <laughs> and you'll get a lot of information. Uh, so right. shout out to everyone who's been making, um, you know, these kind of info uh, slides so that uh, we can just be more versed. Uh, because talking about uh, Palestine and talking about the Israel-Palestine conflict is so uh, controversial. The biggest thing that I can say is uh, that systems of oppression uh, aren't just here uh, in the U.S., right? Aren't just here in New Orleans, aren't just in Detroit, in Chicago, in Oakland. You know, uh, they're everywhere. They don't stop uh, because... Um, you know, you get to a border. Uh, systems of oppression uh, are global and uh, damn right, they come in for everybody. Everybody that uh, can be in a marginalized group, um, a system of oppression will hit you wherever you're at. And so I think one of the things um, that uh, I'll just say is um, the more that we learn about what's happening in other places, specifically in uh, Palestine, um, the more effective we can become at being in solidarity with all oppressed people around um, the globe. So I, I say that to say, uh, sometimes it's really difficult to learn more about Israel, Palestine, especially if you're in the US, because it's uh, many of the information we have is so clouded with, mm -hmm. um, with the $4 billion that the U.S. sends to Israel every year, right, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, has essentially helped to militarize and helped to create this police state that we see in um, 
Palestine, right? And uh, and so learning more about it is important so that we can uh, do what we're supposed to do, uh, which is um, be a part of transnational solidarity for all oppressed people across the globe. So this is definitely a crime against humanity. Um, and if, you know, being a humanitarian isn't necessarily your thing per se, think about it from a tax paying stance. You pay this country taxes. They then go develop weaponry and sell it to Israel to then oppress folks without requiring them to respect Palestinians and their rights. So the U.S. has played a major role in the death dis placement and disenfranchisement excuse me disenfranchisement of millions yeah i mean and again i think what's difficult is um about this topic is that uh if you say anything that is critical of israel you're looked at as being uh critical of jewish folks right and mm-hmm. being anti-semitic yep. yeah and yep. so and while the very real is um anti-semitism is real it's very real um and uh and i think you know the hate that marginalized groups encounter specifically um you know that we know jewish folks have encountered is real and you know one of the things that makes it even more difficult in the u.s to uh kind of get into this topic is uh the long kind of uh relationship that black folks and jewish folks have had given uh their participation in the civil rights uh struggle right Right. and so uh, in the civil rights movement and so you know this topic is difficult but we have to talk about it we have to learn more about it we have to understand even very specific terms uh like settler colonialism Mm. terms like transnational solidarity terms like ethnic cleansing uh and um for us to just understand more about this because uh the more we know i am very clear the more we'll be able to um you know keep this in the light because just because now we have a ceasefire doesn't mean that the uh killing of palestinians specifically of palestinian children of palestinian youth uh is done um it doesn't mean that because we know that even though the bombs and the missiles may not be flying uh the bullets still may be flying the mm-hmm. displacement and the stealing of of folks's home all of these things are still happening, which at the end of the day still equals death. Right. And it really shouldn't be surprising because we see out here in the United States, you have things like stop and frisk. So, you know, yeah. that although uh, bullets may not be flying, there's still other ways that people can torture uh, innocent folks and, yeah, just kind of terrorize them. So, you know, we can't continue to deem ourselves as examples for the world if we aren't doing the work in regards to contributing to a peaceful future uh, for others throughout the the entire world. But, um, you know, back to that that uh, that point that you made about um, black folks and Jewish folks working together in uh, civil rights. Shout out to Bernie Sanders, who, in fact, was hitting the pavement with folks such as the late great uh, Martin Luther King. Um, Barry Sanders and AOC are in the preliminary stages of introducing a bill to uh, Congress, which would prevent future sales of bombs and weaponry in general to Israel. 
Right. What we look like uh, um, having children and uh, people dying in Palestine and knowing that the bombs were created in the U.S. That just that doesn't seem like um, something any American uh, should be down with. So, um, yeah. And then along with that, like. It's kind of like what Tupac said back in the day, which we still see is going on. They got money for wars, but can't feed the poor. We well, see throughout all of our communities in this nation, homeless. I know out here in the Bay Area, in San Francisco and Oakland, the homeless are impacted like greatly. You got, you got money to develop weapons, then sell them. What are you doing with those funds? It's time that we take a stand and start demanding, not asking, demanding that that money be put back into our communities. Yeah, and even, you know, at the end of the day, we do have to spend money uh, that's not here, but it, it shouldn't be, uh, it shouldn't go towards wars. I mean, that don't make no right. damn sense. Um, so, anyway, um, yeah, let's keep learning about it, and we'll uh, link some resources and uh, link some uh, videos so that you guys can check it out and kind of uh, we can stop operating from a, a historical standpoint and really, um, you know, understand more of, of what's been happening. Uh, next up, we have Black Love, Brown Pride. Super excited about our guest today, Evelyn Alvarez, uh, a friend, and uh, excited to share more. Evelyn Alvarez is a mom, doula, and a trainer. Um, and a social entrepreneur, she is the founder of the Bronx Rebirth Collective and Radio Caña Negra, where she discusses issues related to black people from Latin America. She is also the founder of Prom King, an organization that provides suits, shirts, ties, and shoes for um, boys and young men from 10 to 26 for special events. On top of all of that, she also works um, as a childbirth and uh, termination doula. Her work has been featured in Latina, O Magazine, El País, and I Am New York. So glad that she's here, and I'm really uh, excited for this episode, specifically because I've been thinking about uh, this issue around black people in Latin America, Latinidad, Latine, uh, Latinx, all of this shit. We talk about it all the time, and, uh, you know, let's dig in. Welcome, sis. I bring my own sound. Hold on, let me get my own Oh, dale, my dale, dale. Because I don't play these games. <laughs> Not today. I don't be playing these games with the people. <laughs> Yo, it cut out at the end. <laughs> Shout out to Zoom. <laughs> um, Evelyn, welcome so much. Uh, we are so excited that uh, we would get a moment with you, given that... Um, I mean, there's so much going on. And so thank you for joining us. We ask all of our guests this, which is uh, tell us about your first experience and your earliest memories of being in community and like whose spirit do you bring into your work? Okay, cool. So gosh, I bring the spirit of so many people into my work because it, it shifts all the time. Um, my earliest memory of being in community was being at home. My mom, uh, I always think about for some reason, when I think about my mother, I think about Wilona from Good Times. I don't know if anybody out there is listening to ever watch Good Times. But, like, Wilona was, like, the sassy neighbor that always had, like, she had a kind word. And she was fine as hell. Wilona's fine. So, um, 
I think mommy about was fine is what you're saying. Mom, right. <laughs> <laughs> and he always had like a party. Like it was like everything was worth celebrating. Right. And let's just be clear that we were also pretty poor. Right. So it was like it was worth celebrating and it was celebrated with food. And we're growing so up where? Tell me where, where, where are we? Oh, we're in Brooklyn, the People's Republic. Hello. Right. So the People's Republic of Brooklyn and in New York City. And it was always a party like and, it, and her parties were like long. Like remember like old school parties when you used to like peel yourself off of somebody's plastic covered couch. Hello. Oh, wow. Like, it was you a thing. Like, oh, I took it back. I'm talking about flower furniture with flowers on it. I'm Look, talking about the And it was, the base was brown, and the flowers were, like, right. mauve. <laughs> the flowers were big, too. Like, it wasn't even small flowers. It was, like, big-ass flowers that you had. And when people used to take, like, a key to a to a Miller light bottle, and it would be like, ding, 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 ding. Listen. <laughs> so being in community for me was also, like, dancing in the living room with your uncle, learning how to do a step you know, performing as a child. Like, we'd be like, come on, sing the song. Sing, sing, the, sing the song you heard on Soul Train for the people, right? So my brothers had a little band. One of them played the drums. The other one played a keyboard. And so that was probably, like, my first entry into, like, community. Like, I knew that I belonged somewhere, and I knew that people belonged to us. One, um... Here in New Orleans, uh, we're the home of one of the largest Garifuna communities in, um, you know, in the world. Um, And, um, you know, the Garifuna people have a very specific history and have a very specific um, just, you know, cultural kind of understanding of who they are and how they move. And so would love to, for you to just tell us a little bit more about that Garifuna community. You are Garifuna, am I correct? Yep, I am from Guatemala. From which Guatemala. is really important to know because Garifuna people, when people think about Garifuna people, it's almost always people thinking about folks from Honduras. And so it's important to note that Garifuna people are are currently like, there's a few of them in Nicaragua. They are in Honduras, right? Primarily, there are lots of Garifuna people in Guatemala. There are Garifuna people in Belize. So it is, uh, you know, pretty much uh, several of the countries in, in Central America. And these are people that are Black Caribs, right? Who essentially started off in St. Vincent. And we speak Garifuna. Uh, I should also note that Garifuna people in plural is called Garinagu. So like the nation is Garinagu. Um, the people are Garifuna. Um, and so it really is uh, just dope. Like it's a really small enclave, a subsect of a subsect of a subsect that really has like its own customs. And so my dad right now lives in Livingston, which is one of the pockets of, of like Guatemala, Garifuna yeah. culture in, in Central America, in Guatemala. And so it's like even that, right? It's, it's everything about it is unique. It's remote in Livingston specifically. Um, there are cultural norms that we do and it's really like a, a, a hybrid right so it's an indigenous group that is black and that's another thing that we don't often talk about like when we think about indigenous people we often think about people that are not black but say the that. reality is it's indigenous black indigenous people globally mm-hmm. say that and and can you dig into that just a little bit more yeah it's like the you know so when we when we talk about indigeneity right we think about a specific set of people right like native people and so native people are everywhere and it there's a racialization to everything including who gets access to being indigenous right so it's garifuna people in central america it could be like uh yoruba people in nigeria right like these are all indigenous people so just thinking about how 
that understanding works and how it's really presented in a way to isolate. Okay. So it's not either or, it's yes and. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. So the black and brown get down is a movement to learn and remember who we are, given the fact that we have all been dealt the hand of colonization. So as you look into black and brown communities, what is the biggest loss from colonization? And then along with that, how do we get it back and build for the future? Um, I think part of the loss is the assumption that it's black or brown. Mm. Right. OK. OK. Like, speak on that. Um, there are lots of losses, right? Including the fact that when people say black, they automatically mean African-American. And so that excludes other people. And so other people get lost in the, in the, in the, the comfort. Like, I feel like blackness is like the warmest blanket that you have. Like everybody should want to be a part of it. That's just Mm -hmm. my thought, right? So there's that. But when we say things like, you know, like, oh, there, this person is black or brown, then there's a whole group of people, particularly in Latin America that get lost. Cause it's like, so I have to choose. Because now you're making me choose, right? Like you're suggesting that I can't be more than one thing at a time. So right. it's like the intersectionality of race is like we don't we don't get to really discover that and be in, in and be legitimately part of a community because then authentically it's it's telling me that I am not a part of a community if I am black in a brown space. Right, right. So how do we get that back? Like how do we get that back? How do we build for the future? How do we yeah, how do we bring forth community? I mean, I think part of it is is really addressing and confronting the the way whiteness and white supremacy culture has really impacted us and how it has almost forced us at many times to be in in conflict with each other, right? Or to create conflict when there really doesn't have to be. Like if 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 things are right, it will be every everybody all the time against white supremacy. But what it is is that people try to get like positionality in white supremacy. So like I I use whatever access I have to get closer to assimilate and then they become part of the oppressor. So that part is really what we need to do. We also need to be really, really careful and intentional about language because when we don't, when we don't, when we're not intentional about language, then we also perpetuate the very same harms that we say we're trying to go against, right? So being intentional, being in, in community, right? Literally like physically being in community because, you know, I think we'll talk about this a little later, but like the the anti-blackness that is rampant is also a, a byproduct of living in a white supremacy culture that tells you that the more that you can shit on black people, the better you are, even if you're black. Hello. Right. So there is that like everybody has to have a, a measure of accountability and and confrontation of the way that whiteness. Has what we have learned about whiteness and then be in consistent um, in a consistent commitment to really confront where whiteness impacts us mm-hmm. and be committed to not to, to like decolonizing ourselves. Cause I think that there's a lot of like front facing kind of desire to fix people, right? Like, Oh, I'm gonna tell everybody I'm gonna learn something. I'm gonna go home and fix my grandma. I'm gonna tell my auntie how they not living right. But it's like, that's also whiteness. The idea yeah, that you keep out there and yeah. everybody just like that's whiteness too. So really being able to commit to confronting the whiteness and the internalized whiteness, because no matter where you live in the world, you have lived under a system that tells you that some people have more access, have it better. And so we're always positioning, right? And jockeying for that position and not celebrating who we are, particularly if you're a non-white person in the world, right? You've right. been taught to really like assimilation is the key to success. And we have to unlearn that. We often talk about anti-blackness in the Latine 
uh, community, but what is Latinidad and how does it erase blackness and indigeneity? You know what? I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't. Like, let's just be clear that it doesn't erase blackness and indigeneity, like the efforts to oppress us. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not I'm not romanticizing it and be like, you know, the, the efforts to oppress us to make us stronger. That's bullshit. Stop. Stop trying to oppress. Right. But there is there's that kind of role. But I do think that there is a space that has really attempted to negate the value of a group of people, right? And the efforts Mm -hmm. that people have made and the way that they stand. And I would say that it's more about that because to my understanding, like as a a member of the Garifuna culture, like my desire is not to be included in Latinidad. I I don't have a desire to convince people, like, see, I'm a good one. You know, mm-hmm. choose right. me, love me. Like, I don't have an interest in that, right? Like, my thing is, just don't actively try to fuck me over either. Word. I think that there's a difference. Like, I don't necessarily need to be included in your community. I need everybody to have a level playing field mm-hmm. and to say that, that there's room for everything, right? Mm-hmm. To be able that's to- that respect that. factor. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, to me, it's like, we cannot do anything else until there is an understanding and a respect because i think now we have terms like oh there's cultural uh understanding right or uh cultural responsiveness but what Mm -hmm. we don't have what we don't talk enough about is cultural respect where yeah definitely so i can meet people where they are right i can be responsive to your culture that doesn't mean that i respect you that doesn't mean that I'm actively looking to learn more about you and the way that you show up in the world and the values in your systems, why you do certain things, right? And that I am right. committed to finding like excellence in the things that you do because we find that excellence in white mediocrity all the time. Definitely. Right? But we don't commit to finding excellence in blackness and an extensive excellence in blackness, right? I'm not talking about like even when you go to a school, right? You go to a school and they'll have like some random ass white person you've never heard about. And then, like, Barack Obama. <laughs> like, you ever notice that? Like, you'd be like... And it's like, fuck everybody else in between. Like, everybody else. <laughs> fuck all the kids' parents. Right, right. right fuck all yeah. the parents. Fuck every, every person that this kid ever knew. Fuck all these, you know, athletes that they admire, the rappers that are doing things on the low, right? Because even if you was a rapper out there and you are supporting and you were out here making it rain at a strip club, that's supporting black business. Speak on it. <laughs> Right? That's important black business. Because, right? People got to pay them bills. I'm just saying. And then when we, when we really start talking, uh, taking a deeper dive into colonization, we think about the lack of opportunities for people that put them in that position to have to take on those jobs. Or, you know, simply it could be, hey, I just simply want to be a stripper. Or the accountability that it takes to also recognize when people are like, these are the options that are available to me. right and that they don't like so there's a conversation that that can happen there and can be broadened about what black excellence looks like and black excellence absolutely does look like barack obama it does look like anybody else that has 23 letters in their name but it also can and should be acknowledged that it should look like people that are formerly incarcerated that come back and do Mm -hmm. great things in the hood right it should look like that person that that greets you at target with a freaking smile it should look like your mama who ain't never had no job period so right. there's a whole bunch of things that we should we should broaden our perspective about what black excellence looks like and everybody continue to doing that. Yeah, there's definitely levels to this. Yeah, there's a- levels to it. I think what is true though is that when people do take on the uh term or the identity of 
Latino, Latina, any variation of Latinx, you know, all of the things. Uh, they are saying, like, I'm buying into the overall identity that kind of brings everybody together. And I am, uh, you know, putting the blackness, the indigenous, uh, you know, kind of my heritage in the backseat. Right. And so right. I think um, that's the problem with the BIPOC. Like, I hate that term. BIPOC. Oh, my God. What is BIPOC? It's so terrible. And it suggests that everybody, every person of color is treated the same, which we know is not true. Right. right. There are benefits that people get to whatever association or positive associations are made with their culture. Right. right and right. everybody is not taking the responsibility of connecting with 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 other BIPOC POC, whatever, the same. And then there's also mad infiltration. There's just straight white people that'll be like, oh, because I'm not born in the United States, that makes me BIPOC or a person of color. And I'm like, no, boo. You right. just white <laughs> from Argentina. Right. You Hello. I mean, listen, I've had many about. people, many people who are white and are from Argentina, Colombia, um, even, you know, Mexico, wherever you're from, and who... Um, you know, may be very clear that that is their culture. They may speak Spanish better than you. They write Spanish better than you. They do all the things, you know, and yeah, they just can't accept that they're white. And yeah, so and, and it's raggedy. Cause then they start using terms like white passing. And it's like, yeah, no, you're not white passing. My girl, you're white. Let me tell you something, it's whack as fuck. If you look like, white, guess what? Your ass is white. <laughs> <laughs> like you know, uh, like Dash always says, if you if you question whether you white, ask the police. Word. They oh, will right? They will tell you. They will. They will. They will tell you. Right. So there's also this space of like it being particularly harmful in the United States because of the history that Black African Americans have with white passing. Right. We talking about somebody who was coming here to try to like negate. Right. They doing like you know how like Lil Kim did her dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're doing this, right? About <laughs> accountability and blame. They like this, right? They're not, they're trying to dance around around blame and they're like, oh, I'm not white. I'm white passing. So you don't have to hold me to that same standard mm -hmm. of accountability. I'm not like them white people over there, mm -hmm. right? But mm -hmm. in reality, the effects of your presence are like them white people over there. Facts. Word, word. Because it's not, it's not genuine. And you see the same thing with people saying, oh, I'm an ally. I'm an ally. And it's just, just do it. Like, just do the damn thing, right? What are you doing to be able, like, what is what is allyship, right? I feel the same way about Latina as I do about allyship. Like, what is that? I, I, you know, I feel like Mariah Carey. I don't know her. Like, I don't know who they are. Now so. that honey do, I, I do feel that honey. I ain't gonna lie, that shit used to go. <laughs> like, I'm here like ultimate side eye. Like, that's a whole last lie. Now I know you're more racist than I thought when you tell me. <laughs> now I'm more scared. I'm I'm clutching my person. I'm out. Uh, how about J Lo? <laughs> La Negrita de Bronx, right? Right. Um, I ain't gonna lie. Look, baby girl hurting right now. She ran back to Ben Affleck. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Where, where she stands in terms of of like whatever her her identity is, right? Racially, I ain't even mad. Like, I mean, no, I'm mad at that. But her her going back to Ben Affleck, I fucks with or it. Whatever they whatever they got going on, I'm not mad at it. 
one of my one of one of the people I don't. I'm here for it too. I'm running back. Like, I'm not gonna redeploy I need my blanket. And I'm like, you know what? If you gotta redeploy, you reset that bitch. Like when you play a video game, and you know how they like oh, yeah. reload on the side. Reload, reload. <laughs> Listen, I'm mad. I'm running I back. Stay ready, so I don't gotta get ready. I'm not mad at that. Wendy Williams, the great sage gave us you know gave us some advice a few years ago for women where she said that the best way to get over a man is to get under a new one so Ooh. if that is your thing not the great carry on. i am not mad i am not i'm listen it's the ambition for me that's what i'm saying it's the, it's the commitment to connection for me Okay, okay, Listen, okay. you know it's extra toxic <laughs> once we start putting them community values attached to it. It's Ooh. the commitment to connect. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna to I'm a, I'm gonna steal that. <laughs> I will give you credit. Right. Like, I will like, put I your handle like, under like, that. If that's the way you do it and you're honest about your handle, then handle your handle. Like yeah. if, if people are grown enough to get into a, you know, into the relationship with somebody who is like, look, six minutes after we break up, I'm going to be with somebody else. Listen. Then go for it. Me. I don't know. I'm, I'm not about that life because I need you to cry a little bit. I need you to be a little angry. Mm. You know, I need you to you like. You got to miss me. Right, 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 right. I, I need, I want to be missed. Even if it's like a show, like I just need you to be a little miserable. Like, you know, when, because, you know, like, especially like if you're in a heterosexual relationship and you go into like when you see that you, somebody that you broke up with and they look better than the last time you saw them. Ooh, it's a that problem, hurts huh? inside, right? Ooh. Don't that give you like you'd be like, ooh. but I'm trying to see like, you know, in my case, I'm trying to see the, whoever I break up with. I'm trying to see you looking real like raggedy. Like I'm trying to like like I, I need Where's a little like I need you to look like you ain't seen a barber in like eight right. weeks. Like, <laughs> I need, like I need that just for my own personal healing. And yeah. then we get to move on. Because when you see me, I'm going to be fly. Facts with a red lip, you which you're wearing right now. It looks beautiful, sis. Thank you. Um, a lot of the, the work that you guys are doing that I know that Radio Caña uh, Negra is doing uh, is around just kind of anti-blackness in Latin America. Tell me about that. What's, what's happening there? Yeah, so we are a collective that essentially runs a series of workshops for different people, right? For public uh, people, individuals, and also for groups, uh, organizations, schools, where we discuss how anti-Blackness has specifically shown up in Latin America. And then also just kind of throughout this course of the series, the full series is three courses that are four hours each. And so the first one is around how it shows up period, right? So we go through like a historical analysis, then a contemporary, like examples of how it's showing up. And then also just a real uh, deep dive, like a personal evaluation and reflection opportunity to be able to recognize where I have contributed to anti-blackness, right? And the reality is that we all do in some sort of way, right? Um, and the perpetuation of, of harms that black people primarily experience and indigenous people globally, right? So we talk about what it looks like to, pop, to, be, to pay $6 for an avocado at Whole Foods. Right. And who that isolates, right? Or how CMOS is now the shit, but the people that have been ingesting CMOS for years now, in many instances, cannot afford it because now folks is buying it to commodify it and all the other things. And y'all so tried to do Dr. Sabi all the things. Right? 
So it's like, and, and if we think about it from that perspective, then there's an infinite amount of products. There's an infinite amount of spaces. There's a, and, and also we get to sit in our own mess, right? We get to sit in our mess and be able to be like, damn, yikes, right? Like, for example, there's no Walmart in New York City. Mm. There's no Walmart in New York City. Yeah, they were trying to put it in I'm Queens like, or yeah, something, right? Small business, you know, that that's the way that it's got to be. But when I tell you, I ain't even going to front. When I go somewhere that has a Walmart, I'm ready to push over a senior because, you know, they got the little, <laughs> them little driving things. I'm ready to push a senior over and buy 89 boxes of 70 cent, cent, cent cereal. So I have to sit with my mess. I have to sit with the reality that on the one hand, I'm like, yeah, small business. And then on the other hand, I'm also like, but that Captain Crunch, though. Right. Since you're like, not eating like, Captain Crunch still, <laughs> you, you still eating the Captain Crunch. having the big bags though, of the imitation, but it ain't really imitation. It's just you know, right. Repackaged. <laughs> it's like all the things like we get collectively to sit in our mess. So it's like you know what I really enjoy about ours is that we get to give you the historical analysis, and we're always in discovery of new ways because that's the other side too, right? That however old you are, you are. X amount of years old of being indoctrinated into white culture. That's just right. We've learned, right? And so having to have a, a framework for how to confront it and then potentially dismantle it within the way that we live our lives and the choices that we make is really important. And then the second series is like really more self-evaluation and reflection. And then the third session is really about how this works in organizations. So it works really well in schools where we get to really discuss things like, what is your board makeup? Or um, who do you work for, right? Like what are the choices that you're legitimately giving your employees? Um, and are they steeped in anti-Black thought? Are we only promoting certain people? Um, you know, we talk about things like, say, the way that, the way that, for example, black leaders have to show diversity by hiring outside of their race, right? But white people get to have a whole C-suite full of white people and nobody bats an eyelash. Right. So just really, um, just thinking about all of those type of experiences and how they show up in the world. And so we do this, like I said, uh, periodically, which is pretty often, like every other month or so. Um, and it's been great. So we've been working in collaboration with universities, with different organizations, um, actually at this point globally, right? And we get to have real conversation about how it looks, what it's looked like and what we can do collectively. So shifting gears a bit, <clears throat> um, we know you wear many hats. One of those is being a doula. Can you talk to us about how that's changed you? Sure. So for those of you that don't know, a doula is a person that really supports birthing people. Um, and not just birthing people, right? There are different types of doulas. So there are um, birth doulas like myself, where I support people um, who are pregnant and preparing for childbirth and labor. Um, there are doulas that are death doulas, right? Who support people, for example, that are in hospice, right? There are doulas mm -hmm. that really help you like, like navigate from one, you know, from one realm to the next, essentially, right? And also prepare your family members. There are termination doulas who support women who, or people who've had abortions. Um, there are postpartum doulas who support people after they've had birth. So there are different types of doulas. I happen to do termination, uh, birth, and slightly postpartum. I don't love it, um, but I do see the value of it. And so the loving thing for me is to hand off my clients to somebody who's gonna do that postpartum work. And how has it changed me? I mean, I think it's given me so much access to people, right? In the eight years or so that I've been a doula, I've been able to experience lots of different types of births, um, 
home births, people that had birth, you know, gave birth in their bed on the floor. One of my clients gave birth outside, um, trying to get to the hospital. So there's an infinite amount of ways. And also just to be able to be in that space, like it's changed me because people give you access to themselves and their lives and their families at really, really vulnerable times, right? I've had partners that start crying. I've had partners that run out the room. I've had partners that smoke weed outside. Um, all the things, right? right, right. I've had people with, that are, that are non-partnered. I've had arguments, you know, I've had like really moments that have been so tender and amazing. And so it's changed me because it's given me even more access than I had to the many experiences that humans have. And so I think that it makes me a, a kinder and more tender, more compassionate, um, more loving person. And this is who we were before yeah. hospitals, right? Right, right. This is who we were before hospitals. And so there's also that, right? And I think that different doulas have like different niches. And so there are people who work with specific type of clients, whether that be that they're partnered, unpartnered, rich, poor, right? Um, a lot of my clientele it, are people who are like, they in a the struggle, they in la lucha, right? Like they trying to make it work for themselves and their families. And so again, letting them um, feeling in some ways, like I am not just a birth coach, but also really helping them to reintegrate life as a parent with a new person gives me like not just access to the individual that I support throughout this physical process, but also their emotional process, right? Sometimes their financial process. Sometimes like, you know, we're out here looking for resources with clients or we're looking for opportunities with and for them. And so being able to do all of that is just tremendously um, beautiful. And I think all of this is really about how do we get back to ourselves and how do we find healing and joy in this? Cause this isn't just about work. Like no, it, it's no, no, not no. just about La Lucha. It's not just about, you know, it's about like, man, it's the change. Yes. And working towards it and all of that, but it's about the healing. It's about the joy. It's about the yeah. laughing. It's about the, connection, the learning, the vulnerability, the like, you know, just all the things like, absolutely. Like as, as, as a black woman, like joy is our birthright. Right. And we, and, and we have to like say that again, it, like, say it loud, sis. What is our birthright? And so if I can make someone laugh, if I can make someone share a joke, if I can make them see, um, or help them right. Navigate. A challenging experience and really and i'm and i'm not that type of well i used to be that type of person that was like you know now they call it toxic positivity mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. where i would always be like let's take out the bright side and it was also problematic but i also recognized that that was my way of not dealing with whatever the system was right because i also had a you know part of the challenge of being of a certain age and being raised in a certain way is that you also become conflict avoidant in a way that doesn't allow you to grow so also being able to like learn and develop skills um, and also recognizing that our whole life for many of us, we're looking for formulas when all we have are frameworks. And then we realize that the formulas that we're taught don't really work for most of us. Yeah. Right. And so we get to really be in choice about what frameworks we get to use and how we're going to show up within the frameworks that we know work. One of the last, uh, one of the things you said earlier that I thought was really important to say was um, it doesn't have to be just black and brown. It's everything at all times, everyone, all all of your things, right? And we and know- I'm gonna, you, I'm gonna be honest that brown, I, I, have, I have issues with it because there's a lot of brown people that ain't really brown. 
that are claiming brownness. Say more. Right? As, as Angelique Crawford says, the great sage, blackness is not confused. Like, Black is black as fuck, huh? Black is black, black is lit, right? And I'm not saying that anybody right. else is not black. What I'm saying is that, or is not, is not lit. That's not, you know, that's not what I'm saying. Um, but I, I, I want to, I, so, like, if we were in person, I'd be pushing back on brown. I'd be like, who's brown, right? Who is brown? And what makes them brown? It's not that they shouldn't be brown. It would just be that, like, who are we talking about here? Are we talking about white people? I think historically you've seen indigenous people in solidarity with black people. Uh, whether we're talking about um, the maroon communities, whether we're talking about, you know, that specific period in time. Uh, and I think because of the mestizaje, because of Latinidad, because of these things, you, you've seen a, um, a walking away from that solidarity. So how do we come back? Stop with girl. the bullshit. <laughs> I'm like, girl, I don't know. At this point, I'm just like, let's just all like, I don't even know, child. I really, I mean, I wish I had something really profound and and because right now what, I, what I'm feeling is like we have skill but not will. Mm. You know? And by that, I mean that we have the language to be able to to have terminology like now people know right there's like BIPOC and I'm indigenous and my grandma said and da 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 right but also remembering that like it's not either or like in my case I am a black indigenous person yeah right so I think that it requires a real commitment to confronting where anti-blackness lands and a commitment to like being able to dismantle that because quite frankly when we're looking at like the the racialized like hierarchy or whatever black people on the bottom and when we lift black people we lift everybody yep right so if we take it to who is the most marginalized who is most at risk then we center those people and everybody else wins because everybody else is going to stay winning right and and so our lens i think in many instances is skewed it's 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 like in some ways it comes across as the lens or the commitment is to chip away at the blackest and the most indigenous parts of people to be able to make them uh, assimilate into white culture. When I'm like, white culture needs to be chipped away. Yes. Right? So that the whiteness that is harmful doesn't infect everybody else. Right. And, and we don't have to be in a position where now you have non-white people trying to convince everybody else and each other and themselves that they are good enough to get access to whiteness because we know that whiteness is harmful. And this is not the same as saying that white people are harmful. It's able to say that the culture of whiteness is harmful. White people get robbed of their humanity too when they're seeking whiteness. Yes, listen, they become subhuman when they dehumanize. That's a fact. Listen, that is a fact. So we have to get in the, like, and and also recognizing what is our work to do. It is not our work. It is exhausting enough to deal, to walk the world as you are, no matter who you are. The act that you got to walk and find your path and learn and unlearn and confront and, and, and deal with your own shit 
even under the best of circumstances. And then on top of that, you got to do the work to convince somebody that you're good enough to get a little crumb. Mm-hmm. How ridiculous is that? I come from an era where people used to tell black children with no problem, you have to be twice as good as white people to get half as much. Even as a child, I did that math. And I was like, bitch, that's dead wrong. Because <laughs> <laughs> there ain't no way in hell that I'm going to be comfortable with my baby or your baby or anybody else's baby doing 200% of the work to get 50%. Right. Right? Like, where, 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 where that math at? It don't add up, sis. It don't. Not listen, all. it don't add up. It doesn't. Uh, well, we're about to close out. But what I wanted to ask you um, with my toxic self, look, is when someone comes to you and they be like, oh, I'm Afro-Latina, I'm Afro-Latina, I'm Afro-Latina. Uh, what are, like, maybe not what you say, what are the, the bubbles that, like, come up in your head? I'd be looking at them like, is this person black? Because Afro means black. So if you cannot say that you're black, then I question whether you should be saying that you're Afro-Latina. That's just my my fundamental piece if they're inter they should be interchangeable if you can't say that you're black then you ain't afro nothing hello that's you know that that's that's my thing and i get it like i think that it's one of those things where there's lots of terminology that people want to be aligned with because it becomes cool you know you kind of want to be part of the in crowd right you got all the nice merch they got afro latino stuff right so there's that um but also are you like an interloper an appropriator and it, and then also, it's okay to be who you are. If you white, you white. Yeah. If you black, you black. Like we yeah. don't have to be somebody else. Like the the world that we should be trying to create is a world where everybody fits, no matter what. It's not about either or culture because I think that when we start to really like create such narrow lenses of how people can operate, then we also don't create more room. Yeah. So, just be who you are. Like when people are like I don't know what to call myself. Um, my parent is, you know, uh, Afro-Colombian and my dad is Jamaican. I don't know what to refer to myself as. I'm like, you're an Afro-Colombian Jamaican. Yeah. You have the terminology. Like, you don't, you shouldn't have to choose. And I think, <laughs> right? I think I, I see less of that. <laughs> it. Right. I think That's I see. You confuse yourself or who right. you are. You <laughs> and also why are you confused? Because you were taught that you have to be one thing or another. Like you don't right. have to be yeah. one thing. Yeah. We can be multi, we can be multi-passionate individuals in ways that work, right? If you got five businesses out here and they making money, nobody's saying, "Well, you shouldn't be doing that." You shouldn't have five businesses because four would be better. People are like, "Do more. Open more. Spend more, invest more." But somehow when you when it's your personhood, you constantly got to choose. I think that the the reality is that we have to learn how to be vulnerable and honest about who we are when we show up. And develop Jeez. a confidence that the way that we show up is enough and that they're gonna we're gonna find people that are gonna love us as is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think as people start to reclaim, right? And people are in, in their process and on their journey. And yeah. as people start to say, Oh, okay, this white supremacy shit is real, right? Or and, and like how it like takes over all parts of your body, all parts of your mind, all parts of, you know, your emotions and spirit. And uh, even this idea of, of a binary versus, you know, a yes and and all of the above. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is that, right? And as people start to reclaim their identities, that's where you hear the, I actually hear less of the Afro-Latina or Afro-Latino. I hear more of the uh, people who um, 
who may have been assimilated into white dominant culture and are saying, you know what, I think my grandmother is was indigenous somehow in Peru or somehow in, you know, uh, El Salvador or <laughs> this other, you know, part of the um, of Latin America. I hear more of that uh, because they're clear that they have been operating in their whiteness and are now so. Uh, just the concept of indigeneity is there's just like, oh yeah, no, I have seen that, but we rejected that so much in our family culture that I actually don't even know how to come to that. And look, you white. That would be like, that would be, that would be my thing. Like, like if your grandma is indigenous, rejected indigeneity for the purposes of like your benefit or whatever, right? Like there's, there's, there's that. I, I get that. Because I think that that's that's very similar to the to the to the language of white passing for African Americans in the United States. When people white passed, they were like really trying to improve an outcome for a gen right for their for themselves and for their family. Which is again why the Latinidad use you know white people from other places using it in that way is so particularly harmful, right? And I get that, and I think that people do need to twenty three and me themselves till they feel good, right? And they can learn all this other stuff. And they can also accept that like, again, it's not your, it's not your job to fix your grammar, right? But also to be able to prepare yourself with language that also enables you. And, and how are we on a day-to-day -day basis cultivating the type of relationships where now you can have your grandma tell you what happened? Yeah. Right? Because there's another thing that we don't have, like we talked about before is skill and will. Like we don't have the skills to be able to honor our elders the way that we should. We just don't. Right. We and, and we live in a youth obsessed culture that all of a sudden has become mm. super excited about like, ooh, elders. So we and live like, in a youth so we, obsessed having culture. Having year olds calling themselves aunties because like, Word. so let us again, we got to continuously do the, the confronting of the of our own contradictions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. do so the I think until we do that, we also won't be able to like move forward. I love that. Thank you so much. Uh, where can people find you? you know, all the work that I do. Um, yeah, I, I, you know what? Like, I, I will tell you that my personal Instagram is filled with like jokes. I am a meme queen collector. I love to laugh. I want to make other people laugh too about the fuckery that we do and experience as humans. So my personal is ripeness, R-I-P-E-N-E-S-S. -E um, and Radio Cañanera, which we spoke about for the purpose of people getting into um, signing up for workshops, is Radio, Radio, R-I-D-I-O, underscore C-A-N-A, underscore N-E-G-R-A, uh, both on Instagram. Shout out to Dash um, Harris for doing a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of like posting on our Instagram account. Shout out to Jean-Vierre Williams Comrie for checking us all the time and being like the get your life. Get, your, get yourself right and be and be consistent, right? Um, so I think each of us is really beautiful because we play a specific and unique role that is really intentional and powerful um, in in the work. And also, I am uh, well. You can also find some of the work that I do at BX Rebirth Collective, which is where we do a lot of our doula work and our mutual aid work that we started in in April of 2020 as a response to COVID, uh, distributing diapers, formulas, and wipes in the Bronx, and also offering low-cost doula support. To date, we are at about 185,000 diapers that have been donated to over 1,000 families in the Bronx. So 
feel free to go over there and talk about maternal health, particularly black maternal health. Talk at Radio Caña Negra about um, racial issues and also things that are happening to black people in the Latin American region. You should also follow Afro Resistance, um, Afro Latino Travel. And if you want to just have jokes about all things related to black people, follow me at Rightness. Cool, cool. And one more thing. What about Prom King? Can we follow you on prom? Yes, you can follow me on prom king. Prom king, prom king has been dry. We've been doing like low things, little things on the low. So right now, throughout COVID, you can definitely send me a DM. Y'all be like, somebody will be like, we ain't, yeah, we ain't seen nothing from prom king since 2019, which is the last prom season that people had, particularly in New York City, where we do a lot of our work. But since then, we've been doing micro grants to people that are in school. So last year, we gave about a thousand dollars to college students that were stuck on campus and needed to go to they needed to get back home. Um, right now, we're doing stoles for a lot of graduation ceremonies. Um, we're doing again like uh, gifts for first time. Uh, first generation college students that go to school so we give out gift cards so that they can go and go ham at target and get their dorm room tricked out so those are the types of things that we're working on right now like so many other organizations we've had to really shift and figure out where is the most need to be able to continue to meet the need for the people all right evelyn we're gonna say goodbye for now but uh we're gonna bring you back for the rising ritual now we're gonna move on to the juice what we got today mary all right, for the juice, I have Thick House. I want to start with that Thick House. Uh, it looks like the Shade Room and Facebook have teamed up to bring us um, this series, this competition show uh, that airs every Sunday. Um, and it's, you know, it's another competition, uh, but it's plus-size modeling, and mm. I just love it. I'm here for all of it. They have uh, these three amazing judges. I followed some of them just from following, you know, just kind of bloggers. Uh, love Kelly. Um, and yeah, I just think it's completely amazing that we would have a show um, and long overdue that we would have a show that's specifically about uh, modeling for uh, plus size women. That's dope. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's right on time. You know, we're seeing more and more um, acceptance in regards to the body positive movement and its effort towards normalizing uh, body diversity and ridding that ideology of anti-fatness, fat shaming, fat phobia, whatever you want to call it, um, mindsets that run rampantly throughout today's society. So I hope ultimately this eliminates confusion and hurt of this marginalized group and encourages folks in all communities to have more of like a, a more of an acceptance of it like why y'all scared of fat women <laughs> that's what i want to know <laughs> why are the people scared I of fat women not scared of plus size models um you know, you do your thing. Do your thing. Can't nobody tell you what the fuck, excuse me. Can't nobody tell you what to do. Yeah. And at the end of the day, what we know is we have to continue to resist. Now, I will say it doesn't mean that, you know, when you go out, um, designers have to start got to get their game up in terms of designing for anything above a 14. Right. And uh. um, 
and uh-huh. making sure that it's not just like fast fashion, but that you're giving luxury items uh, to mm. these non-straight sizes. Even the fact that we call them straight sizes should tell you that we consider anything, you know, uh, zero to, you know, 10 a straight size or zero mm. to 12. And then anything on top of that is a plus size. When you know the majority and the norm in terms of, uh, you know, sizing is a 14 mm-hmm. really i would venture to say a 16 let's go hips <laughs> <laughs> hey for real for real especially on this covid diet i know a lot of That's us ain't fitting into what we was wearing before so <laughs> yeah yeah i mean and you can i mean i just really um you know one of the things that changed my life was actually going to like a korean bathhouse uh and just seeing women of all and elders and, you know, everybody's mm-hmm. walking around mm-hmm. naked in the little, you know, the different, this is pre COVID, uh, but in the different, <laughs> um, pools and, you know, um, saunas, saunas and, yeah, and, and all, all that. that. And you yeah. see older women and you see what their body looks like and mm-hmm. everybody's just like, nobody's tripping off of each Rocking other. It. That just, listen, that liberated me because, um, and you know, and it's not to say that, you know, Every no one is exempt from white supremacy. So yeah, yeah, that means everybody thinks what is beauty is the standards of whiteness, right? Which are, right. you know, you're a certain height, you're a certain size, you're a certain, you know, uh, you give a certain look and man, we off that. It's twenty twenty one. It's it's time time is up. And so uh I love this. I think, you know, I wish them much success and I hope mm-hmm. that they continue to uh, you know, push this out because it's it's amazing. And I've been following, you know, Kelly Austin, uh, you know, people who have been doing this uh blogging stuff and been giving us beautiful images forever. And so um yeah, I just hope that the industry catches up and produces good uh, the more we normalize things, uh, you know, the more capitalism is going to capitalize. And so uh, if you're going to capitalize, just make sure the designers are coming out with some bomb stuff for us because I'm ready to, you know, look good all the time. Right. For Do stuff. Sure. Definitely. Hey. <laughs> but also shout out to Takara for hosting this and, and you know, her input on the show. Um, and Takara is like who- old school now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, you know, she came through and and, you know, doors were open for her. So now she's paying it forward. So shout out to her. Yeah, I love her. Y'all remember her from uh, America's Next Top Model. And she was such an like an anomaly then. And now it's just like, yeah, that's Takara. Like, duh, what's up, Takara? Right. Uh, right. And so, yeah, we got to normalize this. And, you know, um, Yeah, I just, maybe because I live in New Orleans, but even before then, like, um, it's just completely normal to have curves, to have hips. In fact, you know, um, the people spend all type of money trying to get these things. They do. You're seeing a lot of appropriation. Everywhere you turn. And not just appropriation. I mean, you know, Kay Michelle was like, she took her hips back out, you know. Oh, yeah. What she put in, she was like, "Uh, I'm off that. Like, I'm back to my normal self. And so, anyway, um, yeah, shout out to Thick House. Love y'all. Excited to watch. And uh, they're so positive. I love it. It's amazing. Uh, They might have to get a little more messy for me. But, um, you know. (laughs) 
um cool what do we got next joe all right so we got chef itef um itef is a dj out in denver colorado who was on the road and making moves trying to promote his new album when covid hit so like many folks throughout the nation he found himself trying to figure out what's my next move um he was at home and him and his wife just decided to start developing packets where they would send out seeds for things such as like kale beets arugula or what have you um and to different individuals throughout the nation who were in low ses communities just trying to help them deal with the fact that you know you got to make ends meet but then also still provide nutritious meals for you and your family so i mean it's the kale for me <laughs> bro when's the first time you ate kale um let's see the first time i had kale i think i was about 20 actually okay yeah. so you I were was in out college in georgia yeah and i came back here for uh for either summer break or winter break and my mama was serving kale and i was like wait what is this <laughs> oh mom's was already on the kale yeah, she was, but I was like, uh, I don't know. And I tried it, and it was amazing. She had that ranch on it. No, I'm playing. Why? Nah. <laughs> it listen, was it was sautéed kale the way uh, she put okay. it. Fam, yeah, listen. Why? Uh, why somebody was like um, ranch <laughs> a bottle of ranch belongs on every table. Oh wow. <laughs> Hey, you know, hey, you know, we love our ranch, though. Ranch be going Damn. on anything. Oh, Chips, my God. Does everything. ranch go with everything? <laughs> <laughs> so, listen, all that to say, we do need to get uh, to a healthier place. Um, but we know that, you know, it's not just about buying the salad. It, it, or, it's, you know, it's also about, in this case, given the pandemic, you know, I remember standing in line uh, at Costco, at uh, Trader Joe's uh, for at least an hour trying to get in, you know, and mm -hmm. risking it all. I mean, this mm -hmm. is when we had the gloves, the, you know, you were scared to yeah. touch anything. You was wearing um, like three, four, five masks. Listen, like, oh. <laughs> listen, you were wearing, I was wearing biohazard goggles. suits yes, and everything. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and the, at the end of the day, what we know is if we grow our own food, um, you know, we can sustain a life that is a mm -hmm. lot healthier. And yeah. because we have um, have really done such an awful job of protecting Mother Earth, we know we can't plant every seed in every soil because soil right. has high, some of the soil, a lot of the soil in New Orleans has, uh, you know, high um, rates of, of lead, right? And uh -huh. other, other and things that would just make it completely toxic yep. for you to eat. And so, we have got to get back to the place where, you know, um, what we know in where the Big native... Mom and them started, though. Yeah. Like, because back in the day, you had folks growing their food left and right. I know my family did um, in the South and also here in California. So, and it's our duty to protect the soil, it's our duty absolutely. to protect the earth, right? And uh, because the earth produces and protects us, right? And so, uh, it, it is our duty to be in relationship and we know that as we uh so these seeds to me really are about food justice right but food justice you can't have food justice unless you have land justice right and so it's all connected it's all um it's you know amazing what he is doing uh, the fact
fact that he's been able to send out all of these seeds and that people have been able he's he's sending out life yeah definitely like in fact he sent out twenty thousand uh of his seed packets free of charge to folks um through crowdfunding so think about the impact that he's been able to make throughout this pandemic uh not only from a nutritious standpoint but also from a therapeutic standpoint because you know you got people growing their food we, how many how many studies have been developed that says gardening in general uh increases you know overall wellness so this it's really amazing yeah um i i want to shout out if people are trying to learn more about this uh leah pennyman she has this book called farming while black i want to say that's how you say her last name um and uh and she also has this farm that's called soul fire farm uh mm. and i just think it's an incredible book uh, i loved reading it it's just like you know her story but also just like the amount the countless stories uh we don't hear about anymore about black farmers uh so uh yeah let's we'll put those things up too because i think the more information we can put out there the better and you know being from california uh what we've always known the central valley to be is you know you have um you know just soil farms uh agriculture right uh and uh we know how to put a seed in the ground and have strawberries come up have watermelons come up uh so i think you know the best thing we could do right now is challenge each other get you some soil and, and put something mm -hmm. in there and you Absolutely. know see something come up so um right. yeah i'm excited i love this i think you know the more we can do to support this type of stuff and uh, the better because we know you know as the brother was a dj before he's now a chef and he's now mm -hmm. you know uh have has had all of these ripple effects to him putting some seeds in right. an envelope creating a movement and i want to leave you all with this uh quote that he gave which is really deep when you think about it if we can flood our community with unhealthy foods and drugs i believe we can also flood it with seeds and love we can flood it with positivity and urban farming and juice bars without gentrification without the urban renewal replacement yeah shout out to him yeah i love that well thanks joe and now we're going to bring evelyn back for our rising ritual uh, a big part of this work for us is to remember who we were before colonization. And um, and a part of that is just through our daily habits, our daily practices, rituals, uh, and traditions that are both ancient and that we're creating now, right? And so uh, would love to hear just like one thing that you would suggest for folks uh, who are uh, on this journey. One thing I, I find myself doing a lot, and again, it shifts, right? It shifts by season, by what is happening in my life. But like one thing that I often turn, turn to is um, the poem On Children by Khalil Gibran. Um, it's part of the prophet. And in that poem, part of what he writes is, your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but they are not of you. And as a parent, which I think is like one of, you know, like my most challenging role, I have a 16 year old son. And so that's like a lot of what I do is really to be able to create the type of world that I would like my, um, that I would like my son to experience. But 
what I do there is that in, in this particular piece, he goes on to say that children are the arrows that you send into the future and that the role of the caregiver is to be like the bow. So if you know anything about archery, you got to like hold your bow steady so that the arrow can hit the mark. And so every day I ask myself, what do you need today or what do you need right now for you to be the steady bow? So that your arrow can go into the future and hit the mark and so sometimes that changes right sometimes i need to just sit the f down and chill right there's some days when that's what i need and some days i'm like i need to learn more right i need to pick up a book or some days i need like i need to take my ass for a walk you know with, with a mask because let's just be clear possibly right. Wow. right let's just right. be clear um, but like, that's what I ask myself all the time. Like, who do you need to be to create, to contribute to the world that you say you want to experience? So that's my, that's my ritual. Love it. Thank you so much. So grateful for your energy. So grateful for your spirit and all the work that you've done to give us the jewels that you dropped today. Uh, thank you. And, uh, we're looking forward to dropping this episode. Yes. Keep me posted. Hey. We'll do it. Thank yeah, you. Bye, y'all. Well, this has been a great show, uh, a great episode. Thank you, yes. Joe, for always uh, joining me for uh, the shenanigans. Appreciate you. Uh, yeah. Near and far. I'm with it. Hello. Um, and uh, thank you all for joining us. Please make sure that you follow us uh, at the Black and Brown Get Down and uh, that you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen to uh, your podcast. And make sure you rate us. Like, I mean, rate us. give us a quick High five. High though. Right, right, right. Uh, we don't right. need none of that Don't negative. come with that hater Leave stuff. We can see who you are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and share, share, share. Uh, no, we like constructive constructive criticism. We just going to delete your shit afterwards. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Uh, peace, everyone. All right. Peace and love, y'all.